the key here is to just go slow with the animals. So we're not expecting that two adult cats, the first time they meet, are going to be best friends, rubbing on each other, playing together. That's, that's just not what's going to happen. We're going to slowly work up to that. Join us as we chat to amazing cat explorers and experts. Learn from them, listen to their war stories, celebrate their wins, and laugh at the funny moments that have been a part of their journey. the cat explorer podcast i'm hasara and i'm daniel i'm so excited for you to listen to this episode dr Kristen was so generous with her time and the information she shares about socializing cats dealing with bad behavior in our cats and so much more was so insightful i know i had several aha moments while we were chatting with her but before we jump in we'd like to thank the amazing members of the cat explorer purse squad and the cat explorer producers Their support makes sure that Cat Explorer can continue to create the free resources to help you give your cat the world. We'd like to say a huge thank you to our co-producers for Season 6 of the Cat Explorer podcast. That's Roxy the Kitty, Z and Charlie, Luna Misty Blue, and Xavier and Jasper. To join these amazing Cat Explorers as Cat Explorer producers, or to become a member of the Purse Squad, go to catexplorer.co forward slash support. Dr. Kristen Batala is a researcher and educator in animal behavior, welfare, and human-animal interaction. Kristen has done some fascinating research looking at social behavior between cats, the cat-human bond, and so much more. We're so excited to chat to Kristen today and dive into cat behavior. Welcome to the podcast, Kristen. Thanks for having me. So a lot of your research has been around socialization, and I've got a few ideas on what I think socializing cats means. But do you mind explaining what your definition or idea of cat socialization is and why it's so important? Yeah, so socialization is really that process by which cats are learning what social behaviors are appropriate, either towards other cats or towards people. So um, when you're talking about socializing cats, they'll learn when playing with one another, okay, what bite is a little too hard, Um, what... having the claws out isn't something I should do. So it's really teaching them how to behave socially around other individuals. And this is really important because if we're going to have cats living in our homes, both with us and with other cats, then we really need them to learn what behaviors are okay to engage in. And not only that, but it's really important for them to learn that people are not something to be afraid of or other cats are not something to fear. So especially early on in their life, between two and eight weeks of age, that's really that sensitive period of time where socialization is key so that they can learn that people aren't something to be afraid of, that people are something to approach, and that they can actually be a source of comfort and give the cat good things. Um, And this is really important, again, because if they don't get that experience, especially early on in their life, then they're more likely to be fearful of people and to not approach them, to keep away, to hide, and they're not going to be very comfortable living in our homes. So it's very much like making them a good member of our community. eh? It's like making sure that they can integrate well and be a functioning part of society. Oh, absolutely. And it's similar for us as humans as well. We have to go through that socialization process and learn what does it mean to be a human? What behaviors are acceptable when we go out in society? So it's very much the same. So a couple of things you mentioned before 
So you mentioned the two to eight week period for socialization was critical. You also mentioned that you wanted to teach these sort of skills earlier as opposed to later. But, and so we imagine that it's probably easier to socialize kittens. But say you adopted a kitten um, and you didn't know about socialization or you've adopted an older cat who hasn't gone through that process, especially during COVID-19 where, you know, it's very much restricted in what you can do. Do you have any suggestions on how you can socialize an older cat? Yeah, so it's definitely easier to socialize kittens in a lot of way because they're in that flexible uh, mode, still learning about the world around them. But it definitely is possible to socialize older cats as well. And it's something we do in our work at Oregon State University is socializing not only older kittens, so three to eight months, which is a little bit of an older range than you typically see socialized, but also socializing adult cats with one another. And so I think really the key here is to just go slow with the animals. So we're not expecting that two adult cats, the first time they meet, are going to be best friends, rubbing on each other, playing together. That's, that's just not what's going to happen. We're going to slowly work up to that. So if you have a cat that you're trying to socialize, the first thing I would suggest doing before those cats ever even meet is scent swapping. So the idea here is we're going to take an item from one cat and take an item from the other cat and swap them and then basically build positive associations. So take that toy home, put some catnip on it, put some treats around it, praise your cat for smelling it. So basically they're building up that positive association with that other cat's smell before they've even come face to face. Then after we do that the first week, then we can do a little more where they're seeing each other from a distance, again, hopefully associating that smell with good things from before, but we're not just sticking them face to face to begin with. And I think that's what too many people do. They get really excited that they've got a new cat or something and they just throw them together and expect they'll be best friends, but you really need to slowly work up to that. So first that scent, then being able to see each other from a distance, and then finally, after doing that, maybe two or three weeks, then we'll bring them close up and again, still be distracting them with treats and toys, but letting them form that positive association with one another. That makes a lot of sense. Um, a lot of cat explorers usually tend to meet dogs or they tend to meet other cats while they're out and about. And um, when you're on a hike, it's very difficult to do the whole sense of association kind of thing that busy it's such sometimes it's very quick interactions do you have any suggestions on how we can socialize our cats so that those kind of interactions are a bit easier yeah so well I think that first off you really need to understand your own cat's behavior so there are definitely going to be some cats what we see in cats is there's a lot of social flexibility. So some cats really are highly social and really do seek out these social interactions. So for a cat like that, bumping into another cat while you're exploring probably isn't going to be a huge deal. But for other cats, they might love going out to explore, but seeing another cat or a dog is going to be something that spikes their, their fear. So I would definitely say that if you know your cat is one of those individuals, still try to do some of these exercises while you're not out exploring. So try to find a friend cat that maybe can come over for brief periods of time or you can go there 
just to try to show them that when they do meet an unfamiliar cat, it's not something to be afraid of, that I get treats and toys when I see another cat. And you'll probably also want to carry a thing of treats with you um, on your exploration. That way, if you do encounter another cat or a dog and you have to stop there, that you can give them rewards as you go, um, again, to kind of distract them. And um, depending on how you're exploring with your cat, I wouldn't suggest you take the cat out of the carrier and put them face to face with the other cat. Again, maybe let them smell each other from a distance and work up to that but always to be paying attention to your cat's body language. And if you see that they are getting nervous and anxious, just to end the, the socialization before it goes any further. So your suggestion about socialization with the other dogs and so forth um, beforehand, in case you do meet a dog or a cat or something, it's just about sensitizing them to that stimulus. It sounds like it sounds like just making, making it not so uncommon and fearful for them. And that, you know, when they do come across that situation, you go, oh, okay, I know what this is about. It's not too bad. Yeah, exactly. Um, especially when you're out exploring, you're already out around all these novel, unfamiliar things to begin with. So adding on to that a dog that they maybe have never encountered before, that might just be enough to kind of push them over that threshold and just make it a really terrible experience. So you definitely don't want the first time they've ever met a dog or a cat to be out somewhere like that somewhere more comfortable where they've had time to gradually be exposed to them will we'll definitely help them with that. And so I just want to take it back to the to what you were saying before with the socialization techniques, how you slowly introduce them and so forth. And we asked that in the context of older cats, but I take it that that works for the younger kittens as well. That's how you would do it. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's how we do it with the younger cats. Um, sometimes you don't need as much time with them. Like, for example, uh, some cats on the first day of the kitten training and socialization courses, they are already ready to mingle and interact with other cats versus we don't really see that as often with the adult cats. They often need a little more time, but we're still not forcing the kittens to go face to face. They're the ones choosing to do that. Um, so we do see that the kittens are a little more flexible in that way, but we're still doing the same process, basically scent swapping, um, seeing each other from a distance, and then gradually bringing them closer together. We also have things like cat towers in our classes. So there's kind of an out for them. So if they do see a cat from a distance but don't want to approach, well, they can go up on top of the cat tower and watch from a safe distance. So we never want the cats to feel cornered or like they have to interact. So that's definitely true for both the kittens and adult cats. I also want to pick up a point that you made earlier about how it's a slow and steady process. You're not trying to force it. And the fact that, you know, if you do notice behaviors in your cats that, you know, then they're quite fearful on edge or so forth that you, you break it up and then you stop that interaction because, yeah, I, I could um, totally imagine some people, and I think we've done it before not knowing any better, that sometimes you don't realize those signs that are what they are and that that's where you should stop it. Yeah, and this kind of brings us to this training idea of shaping. So the idea here is we don't expect the animal to just do the behavior all at once. So we don't expect that the two cats are just going to run up and start playing with each other, you know, off the bat. But we're going to slowly build up to that and basically reward small increments. So if we're talking about bringing cats together, then maybe we're going to reward them when they're, you know, 
three meters apart or something, and then slowly each time bring them a little closer together. So um, we do gradually want to build that up. And also, like you're saying, this idea, we don't want to end on a bad note. We want to end on a good note. So we want the cats to leave the socialization sessions feeling like, hey, I want to go back and do that again. That was something fun that I got rewarded for. So you always want to end something like this before it turns nasty. Um, but I will say we, we've out of 50 uh, kittens and probably 25 adult cats that have been involved in our program, we've never had a fight or anything like that break out. And I think that is because we do it so gradually and we also watch the cat's body language and end the moment we see things maybe escalating too much. Wow, that's actually pretty incredible. Like when you think about that many cats, I have a couple of questions. So because you mentioned that you've got about 50 kittens and 25 adult cats, do you do it one-on-one so that you've got that ability to watch them very closely? So um, for the kitten training and socialization classes, we have anywhere from five to 11 individuals in a class at once. So they, they can actually get pretty big. I think our biggest class was the last one we offered. But again, we're spread out. So as I mentioned, I'm at Oregon State. So we have a huge room. It's basically two rooms with a divider. And we take the divider out and it's one huge room. And then we have cat towers all over, um, cat rugs, things where they can hide and escape. Um, And then we kind of just have each cat owner dyad in one section of the room. So they are spatially separated, um, but then there's common areas where the cats can come together around the cat towers and things as well. So um, you definitely, if you've never done a socialization session before, I do not suggest you start with 11 cats, start with something like three to five. But um, again, I think as long as you have enough help and you can go around and be watching the cats and talking to the owners, it's really not been an issue for us. Um, And even with the adult cat socialization sessions, we have around five to seven cats for those um, in the in the room as well. So you don't necessarily need to do one-on-one, but if you know, for example, you have a cat that is fearful of other cats, that would be a situation where you would then want to do a smaller session. That's really interesting. Um, so then you're obviously based at Oregon State University. Um, how do people find these socialization sessions? Because I, I have to say it's quite a good idea. <laughs> Yeah. um, So these were just free classes available to the community. So we just recruited, we had social media posts, flyers up. Um, A lot of it was word of mouth after we had a few different kittens and their owners go through, then people told other people about it. The local pet store um, would tell people about it. So it kind of just spread. um, And now I just get people who email me, when's your next kitten class? When's your next socialization activity? So people, once they started hearing about it, were really into the idea. So say, for example, because like Sarah said, we've never heard of it before this. Or, and you, maybe, you know, you don't have one in your local area. How would you go about socializing a new kitten that you've got? And like, if you didn't have access to that sort of resource? 
Yeah, uh, I would suggest if you do know friends that have other cats or have dogs, things like that, that you do little kind of play dates, um, almost like you would do with puppies. A lot of people will socialize their puppies to other dogs. So I would do the same kind of thing with your kitten, even if there's not a set class you can go to, you can still take them out of the home and you know, get them those experiences, broaden their horizons by teaching them, hey, when we leave the home, it's not something to be afraid of. Actually, I get rewarded. And when I meet another cat, it's not something bad. So I I do think that even if there's not something in your area, there's a lot you can do. Even just taking your cat out in the car and driving around the neighborhood is something that's going to be beneficial for them. I also think that there's a lot of pet stores now that allow you to bring your cat to the pet store with them. So as long as your cat's vaccinated and you know that the pet store you're going to, some cats have resident cats that are also vaccinated and you can do slow introductions that way as well. Uh, Our local pet store has a resident cat like that. So it, it really just depends where you're located and if you can find other people who are also okay with socializing their cat with yours as well. I think another favorite in our community is actually um, resident cats at veterinarians as well, veterinary clinics as well, because a lot of them are very socialized and the clinics are happy for you to bring your cat in and to meet the um, resident cat as well. So I think sometimes it's just doing a bit of research, asking a few questions. And like, um, I also, also always recommend that you say that you got your cat in a harness and they're going to be restrained and you're going to be responsible about it as well. I think that's something important to mention when you're asking people about it too. Oh yeah, absolutely. And also that I already mentioned, but the vaccination, you want to make sure both cats are vaccinated and that is a requirement we have for our classes and socialization sessions as well. Um, And that's a great idea about the veterinarian. My a uh, colleague, Tori Peterson, has talked about this a little bit, how she'll actually bring both of her cats to the vet with her, even if only one cat is getting a checkup. That way, the other cat can come to the vet, walk around the room, see nothing bad's happening and kind of get used to it, and then maybe socialize with other cats as well while it's there, and then go home. So as long as your vet is okay with that kind of thing, that's another great way just to get them out of the house and get them socializing without it being a negative experience. So this might be a little bit of a beginner question, but from what I'm hearing, socialization happens, you know, yeah, three, to, three to eight week stage, as you said before, and it happens when, you know, with another, you know, set of cats or whatever, but I would also imagine... Does socialization happen when they're in the litter together with other cats just as they're born? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, those are going to be some of their first experiences with their mother and litter mates. How to be a cat? How do we interact with each other? And as I was saying, you know, they're going to learn what ways of playing are going to be acceptable versus, oh, hey, I'm my claws shouldn't be out when I'm breaking against the belly of another cat. They're going to learn these things. So definitely those early experiences are, are really vital for them. And if you have a kitten that, say, has been orphaned and hasn't had those experiences, then you really do want to work to try to get them those experiences somewhere else like we've been talking about. And I guess that's why there are requirements and regulations in terms of when you can separate a kitten from their litter or their mother as well. Um, I've noticed that it seems to vary around the world, but I guess that's why we should make sure that we're extra careful to follow those. Absolutely, yes. Mm -hmm. 
So we mentioned separation and private previously to this, we're just talking about socializing, keeping the cats together with other cats. Now, we've also heard that you've done some research in attachment behavior in cats, and you conducted something called a situation test with the three, way, three main ways cats reacted. Can you take us through that research and the three main ways that cats react and what it might mean? Yeah, so what we see in both humans and pet dogs is that attachment behavior toward their caregiver or their owner is often heightened when they're in a strange situation. So that's exactly what we did with uh, kittens and cats was put them into a strange situation and then look at their response. So for the strange situation, what we do is bring the cat and owner into an unfamiliar space, which is our lab at Oregon State University. And so for two minutes, they're just allowed to sit in the room together and we just look at how they're typically going to behave in this unfamiliar room. And then after that, the owner will actually leave and the cat will be alone for two minutes. And this alone phase could potentially be a little stressful for them um, because of course this is somewhere they've never been before. But um, really what we're looking at is if that attachment behavior exists, it should be heightened when they're alone in this strange place. And then we'll bring the owner back in and see if any attachment behavior is displayed toward that owner when they're reunited. And so that's exactly what we saw was when uh, the owner was gone. Basically, the cat is just sitting, crying at the door, um, not really doing anything but waiting for that owner to come back. But then when the owner comes back, what we see is that the majority of cats are going to behave in a secure way, which means that they'll go, they'll greet the owner, they'll stop crying, they'll have that reunion with them, but then they'll go back to what they were doing originally in that first phase, which is exploring the room, smelling the toys, and then periodically going to their owner to check in and get attention. So this is the idea of basically the secure base effect, that the owner is a source of comfort for the cat, allowing them to go off and explore new things and feel comfortable doing so. But when the owner is gone, they are maybe a little distressed and their behavior is significantly different than when the owner is there. So that secure uh, bond is one of those three styles that we see, basically, that they're displaying this comfort, ex uh, comfort exploration balance with the owner, going to them, checking in, going back to exploring. But for other cats, we see two main insecure styles. So again, these cats are not using their owners as secure base, and either they're clinging to their owner when they come back and showing persistent distress, even though their owner's back, they're still uh, distressed and engaging in some of those behaviors and just clinging to their side, not leaving. So this is very different than from before the owner left. Most cats are doing the same thing, going around, exploring the room, periodically going to the owner. But after separation, some cats are going to be insecure and cling to their owner. And then the third style then would be avoiding the owner. So when the owner left and come back, there's no greeting. They're basically just sitting off in the corner of the room, ignoring the, the owner. So those are the three main styles, basically secure, insecure, ambivalent, which is that clinging, and then insecure avoidant. Huh. So then is there any telling which way a cat might go and like what influences 
you know, which way, one of these three ways that the cat may feel in these situations. Yeah, so what's really interesting is in that first baseline phase, we really don't see a whole lot of difference between the cats, that almost all the cats are behaving very similarly, that when they're put into that room first, right off the bat, they are basically exploring the room and then going to the owner periodically. So that first phase, we can't really tell usually how their, um, what their style is going to be with the owner. And it's not until we have that separation and reunion that we see these distinct styles come out. But um, if you obviously can't bring your cat in for testing or something like that, then some indications that your cat might be insecure are things like if you leave the house and come back, your cat not only greets you, but maybe they're on top of you, just like can't get enough of you soliciting for attention. That would be a sign that they were pretty distressed when you were gone and they're still trying to cope with it when you get back. Um, so if you see that kind of behavior, that's kind of a sign they might be insecure ambivalent versus if they just greet you at the door and then go back to whatever they were doing, that's more of a sign of a secure attachment. That's so interesting because I think we have one of each with our two cats. Like one's very, like as soon as we walk in the door, he's all over us. And the other one, she'll say hi and then she'll go back to whatever she's doing. Um, that kind of brings me to a next challenge that I know a lot of people in our community are having at the moment is with separation anxiety. So it's either separation anxiety from their humans, so the cat's being separated from the humans, or they're being separated from another cat in the family, so they struggle with being separated from that, or even another pet, or so a dog or something like that. So do you have any suggestions on how we can help our cats deal with separation anxiety? Yeah, um, so I have a few tips I can give. I do want to kind of preface it by saying that separation anxiety in cats is a little controversial in the um, scientific community, at least. And that is, so if you go to a vet med textbook or something like that, a lot of them will say cats do not have separation anxiety, at least in the sense of how we define it with dogs and children. Um, but I think that a lot of that comes from the fact that there's just not been a lot of research looking into the cat-human attachment bond. So if you include our study, there's only been three studies done with cats, like total for attachment behavior. And of the three, one of those said that cats do not display a secure attachment, and the other two, including ours, did. Um, so I think that's really where a lot of kind of the rub in this issue comes from, is just that there's not enough science that's been conducted to support this idea that cats even form attachments, let alone then can form separation anxiety. Um, so I just kind of wanted to throw that out there, that it is a little controversial, but as as far as our research goes, we are finding not only that cats form attachments, but that they can form these secure attachment with, with owners as well. And so I, I do think that separation anxiety is something that's an issue in cats and is something that really warrants a lot more research. Um, but as far as dealing with that, uh, as we can see, whether or not science agrees with you, um, we can see that owners are still struggling with it, you know, even if science hasn't caught up to studying the phenomenon yet. So there's a few things that you can do uh, when trying to alleviate some of that. One is coming back to this idea of shaping, that we want to slowly get our cat used to how long we're going to be gone. So maybe you're going to just do a few practice separations. So leave the house, be gone for five minutes, then come back. Then leave the house next time, 10 minutes, come back. 
And again, slowly build up that length of time that you're gone. So your cat just kind of gradually gets used to your absence. Um, also, you don't really kind of want to make a big deal of leaving and coming back because then your cat is learning that you leaving and coming back is a big deal and they should behave as so. So you can kind of just calmly leave and then calmly come back. And maybe you don't even greet your cat um, besides just kind of like one, one little pet or something like that. Don't give them a too much attention, especially if they seem like they're really worked up about you leaving. Sit down for a little bit of time and then pay attention to them after you've been back a few minutes. Um, and then kind of just another idea is if you're knowing that you're going to be gone, especially if you're going to work all day or something like that, there's not really any way to get around it, is just play with your cat before you leave, kind of tire them out. So they're less tired to even engage in some of these, dis, you know, destructive behaviors or crying the whole time you're gone. They're, they're more likely to kind of maybe do it for a little bit of time and then fall asleep. You could also do things like leave enrichment with them or food puzzles so that they have stuff to direct their attention to while you're gone. Um, so I think that there are some other things you could do as well just to kind of get that energy out of them so that they're less likely to engage in those behaviors to begin with. And so am I just correct in understanding that what you're saying here is that there's three types of main ways that cats will react to this separation anxiety and it's not necessarily right or wrong whichever way it is it's more so that that's the behaviors they will react to and recognizing it and understanding it um, sort of helps you to deal with it a little bit better absolutely yeah um it's not that insecure cats are not attached to their owners or that they don't like their owners it's just that they can't use their owner as a secure base to feel comforted by and so um that, that's something just to consider about your cat. If you know that you have an insecure cat, then maybe you need to be a little more receptive to them. They, they have found in humans, at least, that how a person reacts, especially during negative events, is really influential in shaping that bond. So say you're going, you know you're moving across the country and the whole time you're just worked up and upset and ignoring your cat and then they're stuffed in a carrier and moved across the, the, um, the country or whatever, then they're, they're going to be more likely to be insecure and not really learn to depend on you as that source of comfort. So really being open and receptive to them and um, watching your own behavior is something that can help keep uh, potentially form that secure bond between you and your cat. It's um, so interesting you say that. So we're currently recording this in June 2020 um, and some of our community may know that we're expecting. And when we first fell pregnant, Lumos and Noxie were so angry, but I was, because I was still trying to process the fact that I was now pregnant and they were so angry till I was like, oh, I need to do something about them and get them ready. And it's only when we started actually, and it's not like we were, we were we did anything significant it was just more telling them this is happening this is someone that's coming into your life and stuff but they've just changed so it's it's very true what you say about like if we bring them into whatever's happening in our lives and it kind of does help a little bit I don't know what that explains anything but it's it kind of just really clicked for me I think the point there is that there are three main ways that the cats can react to the separation anxiety and to be mindful of it in certain situations will be very helpful to 
sort of looking after your cat and tailoring experiences to them so that they feel comforted and they understand what's going on a bit better because yeah i can totally relate these to sort of how people explore or people like you say move across the country and all that so it's something to keep in mind yeah um and congratulations by the way thank you and i also think um like you're saying, this idea is just kind of including them as members of the family. So, you know, they're, again, Tori Peterson, my colleague, always talks about sometimes owners will just treat their cats like furniture, like they're just in the corner of the room, and we don't really necessarily need to worry about their well-being. But they really are a part of the family, and especially what we're seeing with cat attachment is that they are viewing their owner as a caretaker for them, that they're reliant on. So really, it it is very similar to a parent-offspring bond in some ways, that it's a nonverbal individual that you have to feed, you have to provide medical care for, you have to worry about their welfare and if they're getting enough play and exercise. So including them as a member of the family is very important. So now I want to shift gears to positive versus negative reinforcement. What are your thoughts on using adversives so water in a squirt bottle for example shouting shaking rocks in a can that sort of stuff when you're trying to curb bad behavior yeah so i'm not really a fan of using aversives um, for addressing problem behaviors and that's for a number of different reasons one is that it hardly ever works when you do that that kind of um, training based punishment and that's because what so let me give an example to explain what I mean here is let's say that we we have a cat who's always jumping up on the table. And so each time we see the cat jump up, we yell at them or we spray them with water. Well, when we're not home or when we're not in the room, the cat is most likely jumping up on that table and loving it. Like, oh my gosh, I get to be up on this table and I don't get squirted with water. I don't get yelled at. This is really, really great. So When we look at learning principles, what this is leading to is this idea of intermittent reinforcement. Basically, sometimes this experience is really great when they're not getting, you know, aversives, and sometimes they do. Um, And what we see for behavior is that this intermittent or variable reinforcement actually will strengthen a behavior. So by engaging in... um, when we use aversives in this way, you might actually be working against yourself. If you can't punish each and every time that behavior occurs, it's leading to this variable reinforcement, which can then strengthen the behavior. So that's one reason I'm not a fan of using aversives is just how we use them. It typically doesn't work. Um, Now, the secondary reason is well, it's an aversive. So it's something that, that is unpleasant for the cat that they don't like. And often what happens then is they associate that aversive with the person who's delivering it. So I'm the one yelling at the cat or I'm the one squirting them with the bottle. And coming back to this idea of it being a relationship, well, that's something that, again, the cat might not trust you after that or they they might not be able to use you as a source of comfort because you've been the one delivering these aversives. So there might be that emotional reaction tied to it as well that can kind of hurt that bond. So then related, how do you sort of um, combat those sort of situations if it's if the answer is not the aversives? So one, one other issue with aversives is you're not directly teaching the cat what is something they should do. Like if 
we have a child or something and we get mad at them for throwing their toys all over the ground, but we never teach them put, to put the toys away. We can't really punish them for that. So the thing that I really suggest is, well, teach them something else then using positive reinforcement and appetitive things that they really like. Um, so if we have a cat that's jumping up on the table, well, maybe we put another place that's high up for them and then redirect their behavior through treats and toys and positively reinforcing them for using that. That way we teach them this behavior is okay, but this one gets no response. So instead of teaching them that's bad to do, we teach them what's good to do. Huh, okay. Now that makes a lot of sense. Now, we also understand that a lot of your research you found that majority of cats prefer human interaction over food or toys. Now, so does that mean that when we want to use positive reinforcement, perhaps we should be interacting more with our cats than just trying with the toys or the food? Yeah. So the whole reason we actually ran the preference research was because when we were bringing cats into our lab to do some of these cognitive tests with them, we were finding they were kind of just turning their noses up at the food and a reward like that can't work as a reinforcer if they don't want it. So we kind of were like, well, if cats don't want food, then what do they want? So from running this research, we did find that 50% uh, of cats most prefer that social interaction. And that really went along with what we were seeing, that when we played with the cat or we pet them, that was more likely to increase their participation on these cognitive tests than if we were just using just normal treats with them. So what I would suggest people do um, before they decide to switch over all, all the way to social interaction is just run a preference test with your cat and see what they like. So put a few different treats out, put some different toys out, interact with your cat in different ways by playing with them or petting them, and then see what really causes your cat to spend the most time interacting with you or those items. So if you see your cat is always going over to the chicken, but never the tuna, well, that indicates chicken is probably highly valued by your cat. If they spend more time playing with you than they do with the chicken, then they, again, that's another indication that social interaction may be most preferred, but chicken could work as a reward every so often. So you want to kind of identify a lot of different rewards so they're not you know, getting satiated or getting full on one thing. Um, but I do think that for the majority of cats, social interaction is a really valuable uh, reward for them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because I suppose the way I think, think about it is that each cat's got their own personality. They're all different. And even with our two cats, Lumos and Noxy, one is highly food motivated. The other one, not so much. Well, on certain treats, she will be. But, you know, finding that, you know, preference for the, each of them goes a long way to assisting in trying to motivate them and reward them so it's just about finding what is it that really motivates them and what is it that you know sort of gets them going and I've also found for a lot of people it takes some time as well like you're not going to get it in like a month or so like it will take some time it'll take some trial and error and sometimes like you don't even realize the treats or the toys or the activity is available till you've done some research or you've seen someone else do it or you've seen something pop up in your local supermarket or something like that so like for those who are struggling don't give up like it's you'll get there because I think for Noxie she's not food motivated normally but it's taken us about three years to realize what she actually likes and now she's actually actually doing clicker training whereas before she just didn't care so it just takes some time 
And to that point as well, with the types of food that I've been feeding them, like we originally, like, and this is just some anecdotal evidence, but originally we've you know, got some type of food, tried it, didn't work. It was a very much a whole prey type food, which is um, from a leading uh, food supplier. And, you know, just they didn't take to it. And we go, okay, well, that's a bit of a bummer. We've got a few cans of these and they're not eating them. But then we slowly over time, we sort of introduced them back in and, we, you know, we mixed it up with other food that they did like. And what we're finding now is they are actually eating that. And sometimes I can get away with just Lumos, especially because he's food motivated, just feeding that sort of whole prey type uh, food that we previously they sort of turned their noses up at. And he just scoffs it down. Like he just eats it. And so those preferences change over time. And it does just take time to get them used to it. Sometimes they won't take to it at all. Like, And, you know, we all have things that we hate to eat. Mine's pumpkin. <laughs> but there are things that you can slowly, you know, get them to like and you go over time, oh, that's not so bad. Yeah, and that, that kind of brings up another good point that just in general, cats aren't exposed to a lot of novel and different things. So you do kind of see like that neophobia that they're not really gonna they might they might avoid things that are new to them. So integrating food or treats slowly is one way like, oh, maybe you just put like a little bit of the pate on their nose so they have to lick it off and just give them that um, what it tastes like. And then they see, oh, hey, I really like that. Or you just put a drop of it on their food and gradually get them used to it. So sometimes it is about just kind of giving them that experience. And again, seeing that new things aren't scary. Um, Even with my cats, though, So they're not free fed. So they have like distinct meals throughout the day, but I'll just use their regular um, kibble as rewards. Sometimes they're like super motivated just to work for that. So it really depends, like you were saying, on the individual cat. And um, again, I have four cats, so each one likes something different and each one has actually a different attachment style. So I've got two secure cats, one ambivalent and one avoidant. So I've got kind of the, the full spectrum, but really just considering your cat as an individual and um, each cat's going to like something different. So I just want to bring it back to what you were saying before about the bad behaviors and the mistakes. So for example, doing the spray bottle or, you know, and then doing that intermittently because I suppose you're not always home. What are some other common mistakes you see with people associated with these bad behaviors? So one is that that people don't often look at their own behavior as an explanation as to why it could be causing a problem with their cat. So one that I hear a lot is, oh, my cat's excessively vocalizing and it meows all the time. And uh, when you ask how they're addressing that, it's like, oh, well, I yell at them. Like, stop, stop meowing. But what is the motivation for the cat engaging that behavior? You, You might not know what it is. And it could be that the cat's meowing to get your attention. So then when they meow and you look at them and yell at them, instead of punishing it, it's actually reinforcing it. So sometimes we have to look at our own behavior as as a way to guide how it could be impacting our cat's behavior. And I see that a lot with dogs as well, that, you know, a stranger will walk by and the dogs will start barking and going crazy. And then the owner's yelling at them. But again, maybe the dogs think, hey, the, the owner's joining in and barking with me, they're not maybe perceiving it as being an aversive that they should stop doing that behavior. So I think a lot of times people need to kind of evaluate their own behavior as well. 
Oh, that's a really good point. Yeah, because sometimes you sort of miss the mark and you you go, why is it that they're, you know, acting this way and so forth? And, and it happens in us as humans as well. Like you sort of, you see it in one way and then, you know, you have a fight or you have a disagreement with someone else and you go, well, what's what's their problem? What's wrong? And you, you can't understand it. It's like, and then when you sort of sit down with them and you have the heart to heart, you go, oh, so it was my behavior causing this all the whole time or it was this blind spot that I had that I couldn't see why that's what it was and that's was causing all that anxiety. Even though you saw it differently, they interpret it differently and it makes total sense. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, another point to bring up with that is what's reinforcing or punishing to an individual depends on that individual. So I actually um, did have an owner in one of my kitten classes So although I I do advise against using aversives, not everyone always listens to that. And I did have one owner whose cat was waking her up in the middle of the night. And so she decided that she was going to use a spray bottle to punish the behavior. So one thing about that is in terms of um, variably reinforcing it, well, actually, she is there every time the cat wakes her up. So she could punish each and every time the cat woke her up. Which actually, okay, that that makes sense and that could work, even though I might still not promote it. Um, but what she actually found was it wasn't working. And she said, oh, well, it actually seems like the cat likes getting sprayed by water because it'll like lick it and then kind of like groom itself. And I said, well, maybe it does. Just because we think it should be punishing and an aversive, maybe for that individual cat, they like it. So really the key to knowing if something is reinforcing or punishing is just by watching the outcome of that behavior. And if you see the behavior is not ceasing, then it's, it's probably not getting punished. I love that. That's one cheeky cat. (laughs) (laughs) So Kristen, we're coming up towards the end of the podcast. And before we let you go, we go through our final four questions, which we go through with all our guests. The first one is what is one piece of advice you'd give to new cat owners? Well, I would say definitely to recognize your cat as an individual. So um, what what makes your cat special is definitely distinct to them. And if you haven't known your cat very long or haven't ever had a cat before, then I would suggest doing something like a preference test with them just to get an idea for what kind of things they like. What kind of toys do they like? What kind of food do they like? That way, it's just kind of a, you know, a way to get to know them better. Um, And also how they like to interact. Not every cat is a lap cat. So maybe your cat is more motivated for social interaction through play. Um, So that's one really great way in order to just kind of get to know them and also let them get to know you, what your play style is and what your petting style is. So what's been the most entertaining comment someone has said to you about cat behavior? So the spray bottle one was actually a pretty good one. I would say, so this wasn't about cat behavior specifically, but one of my cats, Macy, is blind and she's been blind since she was born. And I told someone that and they said, what's the point of a blind cat? And I like didn't know how to react to that. I'm like, what? I've never been able to get that out of my head. What do you mean? What's the point of her? She's just an individual who happens to be blind. Like... She's my companion. I I love her. You know, her being blind is kind of besides the point. But that was probably one of those ones that stuck with me um, as being, what what the heck do you mean by that, you know? (laughs) So what everyone else wouldn't say is I face palmed palmed when you said that. But I think um, sometimes some of those comments come out because 
it's the first thing that comes in people's minds because they suddenly feel uncomfortable and they don't know what to say next. So they might just say something like that because we get some weird ones when we're out and about with our cats as well. So which cat explorers or cat experts inspire you? So I would say in terms of getting into um, the study of cat behavior, uh, I had a mentor at Kent State University who uh, her name was Dr. Penny Bernstein. And she's since passed away, but she was definitely very influential. She did a lot of research into the cat-human bond. So she was someone I looked up to a lot. And then along those same lines is Dr. Dennis Turner, who he is at the Institute for Applied Ethology and Animal Psychology. And he was kind of really one of the pioneers in cat research as well. So I I really look up to him um, and he's inspired me a lot. And then just in terms of people who are out there currently doing a lot of cat work um, for training and things like that, Tori Peterson, who I've already mentioned several times, she's, um, her handle is Space Cat Academy. And we, we do also do a podcast together. And she used to be a dog trainer and found a cat on the side of the road and just fell in love and started training and realized her love for cats. So I really respect her. Uh, and then the final one would be Tabitha Kusera. Uh, her handle is Chirps and Chatter. And I, I just learned about her this year um, because she presented at a conference I was at. And when I heard her talk, it was really eye-opening to me, especially a lot of the handling techniques she uses to, to be low stress with the cats. And I really, really respect her for that. Last question. What product, service, or program has been a game changer for your cats? So I would say providing enrichment to them. So things like the Ripple rug, which is basically just a cat rug. There's kind of this um, like non-slip surface and then a secondary carpet that goes over top that has like holes in it. And the cats can hide in there. They can pounce out. You can put catnip in there. So my cats love that. I have two of those for them. Um, also just things like cat food puzzles. So the licky mat is a really good one, um, especially if you have a cat like I have who will just scarf down their food otherwise. That really controls um, how fast they're eating. Also just slow feeder bowls and things like that. And then food balls. So they have these balls that you can just fill with kibble or something and then they push them around. All of those things I think have been really important for the cats to engage in some of those important food getting behaviors and give them something to do with themselves. And I also just ordered a cat wheel on what, Friday or something like that or Thursday. So um, it'll be here in the next few days. I'm hoping that will be a game changer as well. Just a way for them to get their energy out and just a fun training tool as well. So Kristen, we've learned so much from you. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Where can we find you online? So my website is www.maueyes.com. That's M-A-U-E-Y-E-S. And I'm also on YouTube and Instagram as Maueyes as well. And then if you'd like to check out uh, our podcast, it's Cat Side Podcast. And we're on YouTube and Instagram as well. Awesome. So that everyone can find those links. We'll put those in um, the show notes. So all you need to do is just tap the episode description on your podcast app and the link will be there. We would love to hear your thoughts about today's episode. So snap a photo or a video of you and your cat, upload it to social media, tag us at catexplorer.community and let us know what you think. Thank you so much for being a part of the Cat Explorer community. 
That's it today. We'll catch you next time. In the meantime, enjoy Gimme Your Kitty the World. <laughs>